<laughs> we suck. We tried and we suck. Yes. It turns out we're no good at travel. <laughs> it's hard after two and a half years. It's amazing how how quickly it fall out of practice. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations. It's episode 400. That's right. With Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Jim. We found it. We found it. Episode 400. It was there all along. Was it in Rotterdam? No. It turned, well, it was supposed to be in Rotterdam, or maybe Antwerp, or maybe Bruges. It turns <laughs> out it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Amsterdam. Stephen, you're back home in Portland, Plaza. I assume you're back in New Jersey or Pennsylvania somewhere. Yep. So, uh, Ed was going to be a guest uh, of ours. He's here in spirit. I'm drinking his wine that the uh, Andaz gave him as a gift when he showed up for his stay last week because uh, he didn't drink it. And I met him up with him on Saturday morning and took it with me when I left his room. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, I don't want to let a bottle of wine go to waste. Uh, yeah, we were. The, the plan was to have us all together for the first time in a long time and actually do an episode together for number 400. Uh, the timing was going to be wrong, but we were only a couple weeks off, so we figured we'd just do it. And then Stephen caught COVID, Foz had work, Ed had work. I actually have work, which is why I'm in Amsterdam at all, so go figure. But uh, <laughs> life, man, I tell you what, it comes at you quick some days. So. Yeah, we're, I think Foz said it best. We're just out of practice. <laughs> <laughs> One of the days we'll figure out how to travel all to the same place again. But, but yeah, uh, in the meantime, uh, our listeners are going to have to Except that, you know, we probably are more on topic and focused on what's going on because we're not all sitting in a room together drinking beer and pretending to talk about airplanes. Yeah, that's true. You know, it, some I, I've come to realize how hard it is to book travel. And I don't know how I did it before. Like, it takes hours to do it right. Yeah. But is did it get harder or do we just, like, do it? Has it gotten to the point, like, I don't need to care about this shit anymore. What am I still doing paying attention? I feel like there's a little bit of that. I think there's a little bit of both, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I, I went to change my ticket for this weekend and I booked it through Amex. And... It took two hours to change a one-way, a single leg ticket. And and I've come to realize that one of the reasons I always appreciated MX uh, membership rewards points was because MX Travel had real agents on the other end. And I've come to realize that is no longer the case. They've just got, just like everybody else, they've got a call center with a bunch of people with a web browser. That's it. Nobody understands fair rules. Nobody understands writing rules. And they can't answer questions because the computer won't give them the answer. Yeah, and that's not good. No, and that makes the whole thing much more complex because you have to find exactly what you need yourself and then negotiate with whoever you're talking to. Yeah. I mean, this this was a little bit of a botch because it was a one-way JFK Heathrow ticket on AA, or it was a return portion, and should have been an easy change. For whatever reason, she couldn't make the change. She called their AA's help desk. AA's help desk gladly did it, but then they also charged me a $50 fee, even though the agency couldn't make the change. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> your, your, your contribution to their ancillary run, your uh, margin is greatly appreciated. Uh, yes, I will go bitch at them myself. Uh, and Seth, did you get your Airbnb issue resolved? Yeah, mostly. Um, this was in last week's, uh, I think, bonus content. But it was basically, I got I booked, got canceled on, and had a hell of a time finding a new place. I eventually did settle on an option. It was my third or fourth choice. It's a uh, fourth choice, yeah. I've been telling people it was my third. It was my fourth choice. Uh, fourth floor walk up. The stairs are very narrow and steep, but uh, it's an adorable little apartment. Um, and it is little. It's like a studio, but it's got more space than most small hotel rooms in Amsterdam and a little kitchenette and a nice big table that I can work at and sit out here and drink uh, edge wine. 
So <laughs> it is a little weird for you to be talking about wine. I'm like, it's eight in the morning. Seth, we need to talk. <laughs> it is five in the evening. And I will have you know that it's completely appropriate. I will say Saturday morning walking around with Ed. He was he, he was still here when I landed on Saturday. Uh, so we got to hang out a little bit. Walking around and seeing the people hanging out in the coffee shops smoking weed in Amsterdam was super weird at 8.30 in the morning. But <laughs> Hey, man, you got to get that morning chill vibe. You know? well, the, the thing I'm not sure of is how many of them were just going home that night still. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, I and, and you know, I try not to judge too much. I'm sure they were doing it for some reason, but it was weird to me. <laughs> but the guy, I've been there drinking in an airport at four thirty or five in the morning because it was, you know, coming in off a flight or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think that's something I learned a long time ago. Is like time zones don't matter when you're flying. Like people are all on weird time in air in air world. You don't know where anybody is. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So we got some topics. Virgin Atlantic joined Sky Team. Didn't see this. Why the hell do they do this? I have no idea. Has anyone figured that out yet? I just can't figure it out. So the I, I, news is that right, the, the basic facts, they're going to fully be integrated early 2023, which is very quick. Uh, most of that can be handled quickly because they already have interline agreements with all partners in the alliance. They have code share with Middle East Airlines and someone else, maybe one of the Chinese carriers, mm-hmm. kind of Southern. And then they're in the joint venture with Delta Air France and KLM. So very tightly integrated. Uh, they run their backend systems on the Delta platform. So basically all of the integration work for reservations and everything to sort of have Sky Team options is already in place. They just have to finish negotiation, negotiating, I guess, bilateral deals for loyalty stuff. Hmm. But so relatively speaking, it's a you know it's lower cost for them to join compared to you know some new airline showing up and trying to get all the integration done because they're able to piggyback on Delta's IT environment, which is great. But I. Just don't understand the value proposition of why, why, and how they think that you know they do have to pay into you know, Sky Team, they have to pay in you know a membership fee or whatever. So I don't understand how they see this driving a significant uptick in traffic across the partners, especially because their main business is transatlantic, and in all those of those markets, they already have the partners. They have the joint venture. They yeah. could they could partake in the round the world fairs. Okay, <laughs> the three customers that book those yearly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I I don't know. It's weird. Like I. They, they kind of were already a member without being a member. They were getting the bulk of the value because in the routes where they operated, like they, how much feed are they getting from Kenya Airlines at Heathrow for Transatlantic? Like what? But what if it wasn't their choice and they were told to do it by Delta and Air France? Why? Uh, to orphan some of the non-Sky team partners off the, their program and their partnerships. Do you think like this makes them, forces them to kill the Singapore co-chair and RTW? Right, Singapore part of their around the world. Program. Yeah, Singapore, I think they have something with their New Zealand, right? Yeah. I, well, I mean, does this require that? I don't think Sky Team membership requires killing all non-alliance partnerships, but maybe it does a little bit there. I don't know. It Again, though, like Delta, yeah, I don't know why Delta would care that much. Isn't it interesting, though, like, uh, I guess, uh, you know, joint ventures are, are, I mean, alliances aren't dead. I mean, that's... Well, it, right, and that, that was my other thing. It's like, I would have assumed that because they were in the joint venture, right, that also remember that Delta bought 49% of Virgin Atlantic. Okay, fine. Delta did that in 2014. Mm-hmm. So this is either like eight years too late or I don't know how it's too early, but like, it just... I'm They're playing the long game. Why not? Yeah, what long game? <laughs> so it's, anyway. it's weird. It's weird, yeah, for sure. But I guess good news for some people who are members and other... Uh, Sky Team programs and occasionally fly Transatlantic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Eurostars. Sorry, just have one more real quick quick thought on that. Does this somehow become more useful with Alitalia 
and the Delta, KLM, Cerberus, whatever group potentially becoming an owner there. I don't think useful and not entirely belong in the same sense. Fair point. We can just leave it there. <laughs> I mean, it's a good question. I don't, I mean, what are they going to do? You think they'll merge the two carriers together? I doubt that no. the government would allow that. But well, And that would be like the stupidest thing. The Italian government wouldn't, for starters. And that would be like fratricide, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Uh, virtually like that. But what would your, I mean, what, what would be the play there? Like, I don't. I, either to sort of force the hand on the joint venture being approved by allowing Alitalia back in, but I mm. would assume that like the government's probably were going to approve that anyways. They were willing to let them both exist in the joint venture and for the transatlantic stuff. And actually the other, like the Delta Air France KLM sort of booted Alitalia out because they were bankrupt and useless. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I see what you're saying. I I, I mean, I, I feel it's I, like a, it's a super stretch, but yeah, yeah, it's unlikely, but yeah. Anything's possible, I guess. Um, Eurostar's Brexit capacity cuts. What? There was a great letter posted. Someone, I believe the British government, was complaining to Eurostar about why the line's so long and why don't we have any trains and why is everything so expensive? And sorry, I have to tell you about it. Sorry. Uh, and the executive from Eurostar responded saying, basically, it was Brexit, you idiots. Plus, you didn't bother to give us any bailout money during COVID. And so even like the loan schemes that some of the airlines got, the trains weren't eligible for. And we have to continue to, you know, maintain our systems and employ people. And so everything's more expensive also. And it's, but like they dropped from like 2,500 passengers can be processed in London to 1,500, I think. And because they had now require passport checks and they didn't staff it up appropriately. <laughs> um, or ad- ad- additional passport checks, right? It's now because they're no longer, uh, whatever, Eurozone travelers or uh yeah it, it's because i mean you, you saw it I, there was always still a separate passport check in to go into the uk from continental yes. europe right but yep. th- there was still a change in like the level there in the other travelers i guess now because they don't share the data probably as broadly so they're in the other travelers queue now instead so there's that um and then the money thing is like also by the way we can't hide like then this is you know inflation and whatever but like they can't they're short a few dozen engineers uh like maintenance people and the, the whole thing was this sort of long litany of what part about you you initiated Brexit and screwed us? Don't you understand, you morons? It's pretty great. I wonder. I wonder how much they've had trouble hiring folks in the UK because they no longer can hire people in the EU zone, right? Like it used to be, you know, you could hire, you could get like a work permit from right. the EU to work in the UK. Um, I wonder if that's affected them at all. I would imagine significantly. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question I'd have is: Are the engineers based on? In Europe, or are they based in the UK historically? There's a yard in the UK that is short. Uh, what, and I'm sure there's a yard in on the continental Europe side as well. But this, the, the specific mention in this one was the shortage of staff on the yard in the UK. Okay, interesting. Um, Cleveland gets uh, some nonstop yard service back. Uh, the Hublet lives on. Uh, it's Aer Lingus. It's Aer Lingus. Yeah. <laughs> Four yeah. times weekly. <laughs> oh man! Hey man, that's what summer demand travel is about, right? Ireland's the place to go. Or at least connecting. <laughs> yeah, true. It is for connections, right? I mean, it'll be time for the early morning Dublin bank going eastbound and westbound, whatever that afternoon bank is. But A321LR, it's a nice enough plane. It's, you know, small and affordable to operate transatlantic. Not a ton of cargo, but it'll get the leisure travelers back and forth making their European holiday adventures. You know, it's interesting. This makes me think about uh, Iceland Air because they, they typically kind of pull some of these third i would say third tier cities right and are like well i mean portland's one of them i'll get I'm, I'm, I'm realistic uh they they kind of take these third tier cities or even second tier cities and 
put service to them because they know that they can serve them with a, a relatively low-cost product, serve connecting traffic. And I'm surprised, actually, that, that, that Iceland Air hasn't actually gone after Cleveland before. Or maybe they have and they left, but I, I, I'm, it's actually surprising to me. I actually agree with you that it would seem like it's a good market for them. Yeah. Uh, Aer Lingus has a similar model, though. So True. And there was only one $600,000 grant from the government, so Aer Lingus had it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a nice way to make some cash without, you know, potentially having to fly anybody. <laughs> if, you know, right, it's the revenue guarantee sort of thing. So it's, if you can sell the tickets and make your money on your own, you get to keep it. If you come up a little bit short, we'll help line, you know, we'll help, we'll help you make good on it, right? Is usually how those are structured. So, yep. And a little bit of, you know, bonus advertising money. But, yeah. Um, the Chinese have certified the C1 or C919. God, they can, can we pick worse? Numbers for an airplane, like C919. Anyway, uh, maybe it's, I've got Boeing on the brain or something. But they do have a 929 coming also, oh, so. God. Just this one, yeah. This one was theoretically supposed to be done on September 19th for obvious reasons. Uh, everybody's, you know, bated breath waiting and that did not come through. They ended up doing it on September 29th, which is amusing given that there's a 929, which is going to be their wide body uh, first model that they're developing. But this is a single aisle a320 slash 737 competitor uh it is the widest fuselage of any single aisle mainline plane <laughs> it's like a couple centimeters wider than the airbus a320 fuselage <laughs> yeah um they have a high density configuration they can get them up to 194 seats where i believe the a320 caps out at 186 uh maybe the neo's a little more because the extra is in the back but it's uh 184 something like that so yeah it's in theory bigger but it's running old generation uh, generation old engines a generation old you know it's an old design in many mm -hmm. ways right this was the plane's been under development for a long time um it is almost certainly only up going to ever really fly in the chinese market there may be a couple other neighboring countries that take advantage of the opportunity let's say but much like sort of the even before the war and all the uh embargoes uh the ssj basically is a russian plane and only flies in russia and then mexico but you know um for an airline that ends up going bankrupt and probably had some corruption and spirit things going on there uh yeah so it's gonna be a chinese airplane for the chinese market um it's interesting though like they they have sort you know sort of satisfied all the requirements to be a real airline and this one is unlike the arj 21 which is the first chinese sort of commercial plane of the modern era this one truly is 100 percent chinese technology developed or at least chinese developed in hell right in country though arj was basically an old mcdonnell douglas plane that they had some old blueprints for and futzed around and sort of made it their own uh i mean do you think i mean we'll see this probably in service in china as well as maybe some countries i mean i i think the other thing is it'll probably fly to other countries like from china. Yeah, it'll, do some, it'll do some short transporter routes i would imagine but that like you know that becomes those other countries still do have to you know, with via reciprocity, usually just say, oh, China said this, okay, it must be okay for us too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that sort of arrangement is common amongst countries of Boeing and Airbus benefit from it too. Yeah. Um, but I imagine it will do some transborder stuff nearby. But yeah, it's going to mostly, I, I wouldn't imagine that there's going to be too many flights that don't have at least one of the airports in China. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, the flight deck pictures are super interesting, um, right? Like it's got fancy screens up front. For the pilots, not old gauges. Uh, there's one pilot commenting how half the buttons look like they were out of an Airbus and half the switches look like they're out of a Boeing flight deck. So it's a little uh, identity crisis going on there. But, you know, it, it does look like a clean, slick, 
interface for the pilots to work from and, you know, sort of touch screens to manage a lot of the operations and things like that. So it's modern in that context, but we'll have to see, we'll see, we'll have to see how well it does and sells. Yeah. Yeah. The other question is honestly, is how quickly can they actually start manufacturing it? Mm. Right. So this is, they have a production aircraft, they've got it certified. Um, great. Now, can they ramp up from making 10 or 20 planes a year to making a hundred, 10 or 20 a month, right? Even, even if they got to 10 a month based on the projections from Airbus and Boeing, uh, that would be what, 8%, 7% of the annual single, of the single aisle output, hmm. right? Cause Airbus is trying to get to 75 in the next few years. Boeing is in the 50 to 60. Yep. So they'll add another 10 in a year at 150. So 10 out of 150 is sort of what I'm working with there. It's somewhere between six or 7%, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and so it's, it, that, and that would be a huge win if they got to that level of production, I think. I don't think there's any expectation that they're going to get there anytime soon. So, yeah, it takes a little while to ramp up and get your systems in place and get the line actually running the way you want it to and like that. So. Yeah, I think just getting to straight up serial production of like two a month is hard. Mm-hmm. And then as you start to sort some of those things out, you bring in more people, you bring in more positions, and you sort of can supplier issues, all that stuff comes into play. But um, there's the logistics because, you know, airplanes, it's a lot of the final assembly lines where those rates are maintained are dependent on all those little suppliers who also have to maintain similar rates of like, you know, widgets and buttons and whatevers. And, and, oh, and oh, how Boeing has learned that. <laughs> and Airbus. I mean, for, you know, engines, which are coming up short these days, and engines have a bajillion parts in them. It's the, the logistics of, you know, sort of the sort of just-in-time manufacturing situation. Is pretty yeah, we've kind, of taken, we've kind of taken it to the extreme of just-in-time, right? So, yeah. Just a little uh, late in manufacturing? Yeah, just a little late. Yeah. Jilt. Um, uh, so... WestJet has a max 10 order. They're going to get 42 plus 22, and they'll take delivery by the end of 2028. That's a lot of planes. If it ever gets certified. <laughs> well, there's that. We've made a little detail. Um, and, you know, that's very much in question just based on, was it uh, the FAA, I think it's about two weeks ago, but it finally came out last week, sent a letter to Boeing saying, hey, remember how you told us you gave us all the paperwork and it was all done? You were wrong. Um, they were like, had a bunch of documents. I think only 10% of the documents were considered fully complete by Boeing. 70% of the documents needed further revisions and six filings were wholly absent. What is happening over there? So that means that the, and the letter from the FAA basically said, remember how we told you that unless we have this stuff by September 15th, we don't think we can have you certified by the end of the year. Yeah. And now it's September 22nd and this is where we're at. So this is basically the FAA said, and well, the FAA, the letter also says, you know, we're not going to be holding to any particular date. We, it's basically the FAA saying, don't expect to get recertification by the end of the year. Now, that's on the MAX 7. They haven't even gotten into the 10 yet. And so the 10 is almost certainly not going to happen. Um, that said, I think a senator had added uh, a an amendment to the NDAA, the Defense Authorization Act, which is one of the few bills that's considered a must-pass in Congress. Like, they fight over it forever, but eventually they have to pass it because they don't, we don't have an army anymore. Hmm. Um, has, has tried to get an amendment placed on that bill to get it uh, to to extend Boeing's end of this year deadline for certification that was added in 2020 on another uh, one of the COVID relief bills, which was also a sort of must pass situation. So um, whether it'll whether the amendment will have enough votes and how it will get processed remains to be seen. Um, but someone has finally taken the steps to do that. Um, I get probably bad optics for a lot of the congressmen, uh, but they don't have a choice at this, at this point. So. I think it actually does happen eventually, but it sucks in a lot of ways. So, so do you think? Then you, do you think then going back to WestJet? Do you think they're like planning kind of a long game here to to try and get? They've got some older planes, I'm assuming, and they're trying. They they know this probably won't happen by the end of 2028. 
So they're like, well, by 2030, we're probably going to need. Yeah, I, I think that they probably have an, a reasonable expectation of what the delivery timeline is. Uh, if and yeah, but uh, Westit has an all 737 and 787 fleet now. They're gonna, um, they're not growing this. And that's right. Sorry, uh, Westjet Express. Uh, they're not growing the, they're not growing the 787 fleet anymore. They're focusing on the single aisle stuff, and it, it'll be fine. This is for growth, yeah. um, more than replacing the existings because they're all they're NGs. They're not that old. Gotcha. Okay. And you know, and they've got some max. They've got max eights on order too. So the max eights are the early deliveries. Um, and these will help round it out, but it's something now. I think they're up to fifty or sixty new planes, sort of late by late in the decade. And I would assume, as with every other order that Boeing and Airbus process these days, uh, they can swap between models within the family without much trouble, mm. right? If, if they have to get a dash uh, dash nine or more dash eights instead, like they can do that. Yeah, I I should mention. I, I, I think we briefly talked about it on the last show, but uh, I just want to say I flew my first time on a Max uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, Chicago to Portland, so it's like four and a half hour flight um I, I it was fine I, I don't notice anything better about the plane like you're not feels, supposed to feels like a 737 well i was hoping i'd kind of i was kind of kind of hoping i would feel like a 787 vibe you know a little lower altitude density so i don't think they did that i know i know so i learned that my you, you get your sky interior okay buddy yeah which which by the way i had this discussion with someone on twitter i think it was jason um so the most interesting part was the boarding process. They tell you to put your bags, uh, like books, right, on their on their sides so that they're not laying flat on the in in the overhead compartments. Because I, th- I think it's because of the way the bag, the actual storage area is built. I don't think all the bags fit that way. Like they're almost a little too tall. So if they're not put in the right way, the the, the bin won't close. And because you can fit more over, you can fit more bags in the overhead, and they're lifted, not like the A three twenty ones or the Airbus family, right. They're like lifted up. The flight attendants can barely close them. So my first question is, did did you see the problem with them closing in first class or when in the middle and the back? Because the no. you saw it doesn't air up. Uh, first class, all the. I mean, I saw the first four rows of first class, and then all the way back to the first few rows. I mean, I could only see back to you know yeah. a little bit of coach. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a rough life sitting up front. It. Yeah, but but <laughs> I, but I did see them struggling even behind. Yeah, yeah. No, so the closing the bins thing a lot, like on the wide bodies, they actually they are designed with a switch that hydraulic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, the the closing thing can be a challenge. I mean, arguably, right? The good news is now they're weight rated to like fit me inside again. So maybe I can update my profile picture. Because <laughs> um, me and four bags is about the right, or five bags is about right. But um, yeah, the there's definitely an issue with what uh, shape bags are and get it. You know, most standard size rollerboards per the like what a twenty two by fourteen by nine rule mm-hmm. yeah. should be okay, but. That's without the wheels sticking out and without the handle sticking out and all those other things. And yes, you end up with some that hit just wrong. I have a 22 inch Travel Pro that only vaguely works. Well, and it's funny because you know the sign in there tells you to, to stand up. And yeah, flight attendants were getting frustrated because people are doing it. It's like, well, but they're doing they're actually doing the right thing. Yeah, like, and if you gotta like this is the other part of like putting a bag in an overhead bin. It's like, will it close if I leave my bag here? Yeah, um, yeah. don't be that guy. I just thought it was funny, and I I don't I don't necessarily love those bins because when you open them. And you try and stand up, like what you know. Everybody's getting off the plane. You, you're going to nail somebody in the head. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't love it. But anyway, onward and upward. Uh, yeah. So Alaska Airlines is maybe going to dynamic pricing for partner awards. So as announced, as of December, they're going to revise the way reward charts are displayed. And when you put in city pairs, you're going to see the starting price of awards in that market. When I have it done enough research on i'll be perfectly honest um 
is whether they are really going to dynamic pricing for all partners or they're just going to say, oh, in this market, there's these six partners and the starting price is X and we won't tell you which partner that's on. Because right now you have variable pricing. I mean, even within like British Airways and Iberia, which are basically the same obvious partnership in theory, um, you could have different pricing in uh, in seats between like the North America and Europe. Well, so, I, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's more that than it is dynamic pricing. I mean, they've already got some, I mean, their dynamic pricing is kind of a joke with like with Aer Lingus, right? It's like, you, if you can find a business class seat for 60K, you should book it because the dynamic, in quotes, price is 280K and it's always that. Yeah. So like, it's it's not like it's truly dynamic based on demand and they have some secret number they're getting. It's it's just, hey, it's either one number or the other. Well, so that's almost certainly right. Is there reward bucket space or are we booking you into some higher inventory? Yeah, exactly. And so and what I don't know is, does this mean that they really are going to get into sort of the broader, there's going to be more inventory available? right? Because you'll have access to multiple buckets and price accordingly. Or is it as sort of what you just described? Or is it, okay, well, Aer Lingus Transatlantic business class 60K to 240. British Airways is 80, Iberia 75. Like, good luck. Well, all we're going to tell you is 60. And then you have to go see what, what it really is based on whichever partner you end up on. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weirdly worded. I I, I don't think they... I know it's not time to follow up. Te- technologically, I don't think Alaska is in a place to do true... Uh, dynamic awards, but well, maybe I'm wrong. Foss, I don't know what you think. Yeah, I mean, is any airline truly capable of doing dynamic awards properly? I mean, we've seen some of the mispricing that United's been. Yeah. If you make it, if you make it a penny a point, um, that's pretty, you know, or something like that, you can do it pretty quickly. If you're trying to provide any variability in the rates or tie it to inventory classes or things like that, um, it gets complicated in a hurry, right? We're, we're also still waiting to hear what Star Alliance is going to end up doing with its sort of in-house rewards program with its new credit card, which was, I thought, was supposed to have already launched. But. Yeah, I did too. I, I The other thing with Alaska, right, is some of the, most of their complications actually arrive arise out of the fact that you can't do certain awards in certain markets on certain carriers, right? right? So if you're going from Europe to uh, Oceania or Asia, there's only certain carriers that are allowed that you're allowed to use for that. Um, and in some places, they don't even allow you to to fly the routing. I think like Africa to, to Southeast Asia isn't allowed. Um, so there's weird stuff like that with their program that I think maybe they're trying to fix because of their integration with, uh, you know, being one world now. But I don't, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, and that's the other question is like, how much is this tied to the one world bit? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. like, like, I, I, like, rewards. well, and like they're bragging like, oh, you're finally be able to book cafe online. That's great. Okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, can i fly well, cafe <laughs> right and fair flying also uh now you sort of can they're you know china or hong kong is knows now doesn't have the hotel quarantine so you know you're only mostly at risk of getting in trouble if you test positive while you're there not entirely um i guess out of order but speaking of weird new partnerships uh air baltic is also doing uh we're talking about that later on yeah yeah we're gonna talk about air baltic. sorry bonus you have to stick around listeners for that one uh let's talk about norse they're cutting capacity for the winter turns out running a long-haul low-cost carrier is really hard transatlantic yeah that business market that market is just not stable and not steady at all so they completely drop lex out of this yep they go down to jfk oslo to three times a week from daily yep. uh berlin to fort lauderdale still coming in december that one kind of makes sense to me and then jfk to gatwick remains daily yeah uh, so the plane will still do its oslo jfk or excuse me oslo Gatwick, JFK, and back kind of every day. But uh, they trimmed a lot, and 
you know, they last for a couple of weeks ago were like, yeah, gosh, uh, demand isn't really where we thought it was going to be. We're going to, we may have to make some adjustments. And now they're actually making those adjustments. But it's like, I, I, why would they expect that they were, it was going to be any different than what like Norwegian saw, especially from Oslo, which was always super weak. Well, can I say though, that dropping LAX is the weird one to me. Like I, I get, okay. subsidized? no, it's not getting subsidized. I, I, I get like, it just seems like maybe you could trim it and not close it because it, as a winter destination, LAX kind of makes sense. Like, it was I already only, I think, 3x weekly from each of the two markets. Mm-hmm. So unless you drop one market, you're in a weird place there. And then, I mean, you know, what does the Swissport give you? I mean, yeah, I know you can sort of hire the people ad hoc like that, but you probably have some staffing issues for some yeah. limited service. But And, like, very limited service attracts, doesn't get the marketing, doesn't get the brand recognition, doesn't do all those things that you need to grow. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I get what you're saying. And, yes, Southern California, you'd think, would have quite the draw in the winter of people trying to escape cold and yeah. particularly this year especially cold uh northern europe to get to sudden surf and sand but i don't know it, i think the amusing part to me is like somehow they thought things were going to be different and are now discovering that is not the case but the other part of that right when you look at the global economy uh, currency market the dollars are usually strong so that's likely going to impact how many people want to visit anyways that is also true yes the euro i mean the dollar is basically at par with both the euro and the pound right now or close to it which still doesn't make London hotels affordable, but anyway. That's Don't start n- with me. Or Amsterdam hotels. I This week is costing me. It's it's nuts, man. Like central London, not even central London. Like, I mean, we're talking shir- shortage or like places that are outside central London. London, uh, 400 pounds a night. Yeah. In in, in the, the winter, which is nuts. So um, Delta and Latam is formally approved. I guess we're not surprised. Yeah, I know. It's their joint venture. That's been an ongoing process for a couple of years now. Um, there was a tentative approval, I think, back in June. So obviously, we were expecting it to go final. I was like t- taking what July, August, September, three full months to go final is a little longer than usual. But there were some objection or comments filed. I think the only real objection was from the pilots' union, and that was because a clause that the airlines had agreed to was inserted into the agreement was removed. By the DOT somehow, maybe? I don't understand exactly how it got removed. That's the part that's weird to me. Um, because I, but when it was it, like the approved copy that came back did not have that clause in it. And it was basically something that required Delta's pilots, like it required growth on the Delta side to sort of match growth on the LATAM side to give, to ensure that Delta pilots continue to have opportunities for new jobs rather than Delta South America operations becoming wholly LATAM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, the DOT's response was basically, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand how this growth is going to happen. It can't happen without you also continuing to add jobs. Don't worry. Which sounds a lot like something management would say and is bizarre to hear coming from DOT under the Biden administration. But there you have it. Hmm. No, there's been no clarification or press questions to the DOT about that. I'm assuming uh, it came out like a couple days ago and I've been busy and I don't think anyone else cares. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine the pilots union cares quite a bit, but I haven't. Uh, I mean, I think it's like I think it's an interesting question to ask. Is like, can you clarify? Like, yeah, like why? Why are you negotiating on behalf of these airlines? And yeah, um, it was super weird. I'm trying to see if I can find my comment specifically about it, but it was, uh, yeah, it was super weird. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a show. I mean, how's how are things in Amsterdam? Weather's nice. Weather's been great. We've had a, actually some uh, rain overnight. Um, which was nice that it was overnight and not during the day, but it's been like mid-60s and sunny. Walked around yesterday, got some good photos around the canals. Today, went to the gym and then 
took a nap and then recorded this. So the gym. Yeah. Who are you even? Oh no, I do that sometimes. If I have time when I'm traveling, I love to. I found I found the quote. Hang on, though. This is the clause from the DOT with respect. Uh, with respect to the specific request by the labor parties to restore section 5.3, we continue to see substantial problems with that section that cannot be otherwise addressed. The absence of this clause from the joint venture agreement will, in fact, support enhanced competition and flying opportunities for U.S. labor if the labor party's assessments about the carrier's relative strengths emerging from the pandemic are correct. Yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see what, what they're what they mean. Like, I'd like to hear yeah. what they mean. First, it should be noted this is a temporary, not permanent provision. Um and growth decisions are to be made based on other provisions in the agreement designed to ensure a balance of benefits to both airlines. And even if adopted, any expectations that the labor parties have based solely on this clause will not be available during the entire term of the JV. Um, however, the governance and commercial structure of the alliance is designed for an equitable share of the full range of economic benefit, including additional flying for the union's members. It's a super weird. It's literally you guys don't understand what this was, what this joint venture is doing. Trust us. It's an amazing turn of phrase. Yes, yes, it is. So. Let's get back to the gym topic here. Fox, do you ever go to the gym when you're on the road? Very rarely. I, I, aspirationally, yes, but not really. I, it's I, this time, so I'm, I, I had to think about it, but yeah. I'm I'm aspirational, too. Like, I, I dream of going to the gym, and then I realize I don't want to wake up. So, um, we'll see, for me, when I end up doing it, it's when I can't sleep. Oh, I gotcha. So, so I just yeah, figure I'll go exhaust myself, and maybe I will fall asleep. I've, I've had the, huh, I'm up at four in the morning, and I'm at the Frankfurt Sheraton. Now what do I do? <laughs> oh, I didn't pack gym shoes. I can work out in my dress shoes and a pair of shorts that I have in my bag. That was a particularly fun morning, especially because I did the math for converting pounds to kilograms wrong. And instead of doing 2.2, I was doing 1.6 like miles to kilometers. And everything was really heavy and I couldn't figure out why. Um, so that was that was a fun one. That was a few years ago. Uh, no, this one, I, I almost, I don't do it when I have a full schedule because I'm just never going to make that time. But I purposefully sort of planned this as a, well, we were all supposed to hang out today, right? Like we were supposed to be a leisurely weekend in Europe. Yeah. I had nothing else to do. And so um, I have today and tomorrow before my conference starts. So I brought an extra couple pairs of sh- shorts and t-shirts so I could go and found a place not far from the hotel where I'm staying that was a good workout. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess, how do you find a gym? Do you just like look on Google Maps and okay. Yeah. I mostly do CrossFit. So there's a pretty good uh, limit. Like there's limitations of sort of, you can just search CrossFit and city name and you get some pretty good options. Um and then with, within that, you know, had to find a place that would actually let me show up and like had space available and whatnot. But there's a, it's a 20 minute walk from the hotel. It's not right here, but it's not bad. Or Airbnb, whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, but it was nice. It was, it's, you know, it's, and it's fun to have that experience in other places in the world. I will say, um, apropos of that, the class was basically run in English hmm. and not just for me. Hmm. And I was surprised. I have been surprised in the now 36 hours I've been in Amsterdam, how much English there is like as the lingua franca for like Dutch people, it seems almost. Hmm. And like in the class people, like, you know, at the end you tell the coach your score and they write it up on a whiteboard and like people, half the people did it in English and half did it in Dutch, but it was like only half did it in Dutch. I would have expected it was only me because everybody else was in it. Yeah. Um, That's, that is interesting. And like, even I was there and like early, so to make sure I could get in. so like the class before me, like the coach was yelling instructions in English, which made it real easy for me to follow the workout, of course. But I could like, compared to when I was in the one in Paris and, the guy was yelling at me in French. I'm like, you keep doing that, buddy. I don't understand a word of this, so I don't have to listen. Thank you very much. Yeah, but but, but you feel encouraged to do the workout. <laughs> He's no, he was actually, he was mad at me for stepping up onto a box instead of jumping. And he's like, you'll go much faster. He was trying to tell me to go faster. And I was like, well, my knee is injured, and this is the best you're going to get from me, so suck it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. 
Oh, man. Well, to our Patreon subscribers, uh, you'll find a couple of new topics in the bonus episode. So we're going to talk about Delta One lounges, AA, forgetting about some slots, and uh, the Air Baltic uh, earn and burn partners that are new. Um, if you're not a subscriber, you can you can do that and fairly affordable, I think. Uh, and uh, yeah, but we appreciate everyone listening to the show. And sorry, we couldn't all be in one place for episode 400. We tried and we failed. We <laughs> will next time. We will try again. <laughs> Hopefully before 500, though, because that's a long way away. Yes, yes. So we'll talk to you next time, and uh, happy travels. Bye-bye. Take care. See you later.